Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to The Shift, the podcast that aims to tell the no-holds-barred truth about being a woman post-40. Created and hosted by me, journalist and author, Sam Baker. My guest for the first episode of this season is a very special one. You may not have heard of Karen Arthur, but you sure as hell will have done by the time she's finished with you. Because Karen, the founder of Menopause Whilst Black, is a woman on a mission. People fear menopause. They're worried about getting older, not being desirable, not being seen as relevant, all of that stuff. But that doesn't stop just because you hit menopause. If anything, it gives you the, I'd say, the courage to really step out because you've got nothing to lose, you know? For the first three decades of her working life, Karen was a teacher. Then she had a breakdown that caused her to rethink everything about her life. Sound familiar? She recreated herself as a fashion designer, activist, campaigner, model, and set about giving black menopausal women a much needed voice. Join Karen and me for an eye-openingly honest and generous conversation about what can happen when you hit a wall and don't even know who you are anymore. Before we start talking about how you got to where you are, I need to know what the picture is behind your head. Right, so that's London Contemporary Dance Theatre. Oh, it's beautiful. A poster from 1992. And that person there, the black woman, she's a friend of mine. My background's in dance. Oh, is it? I don't know. Yeah, I used to travel down to London from Leicester, which is where I was at uni, and watch amazing shows at the old Sadler's Wells in the gods where the seats were so small, you left with your knees bruised. (laughs) Yeah, and you kind of felt like if you leaned too far forward, you were going to just fall into the press. Yeah, absolutely. With those little binoculars that we always used to nick. (laughs) (laughs) oh god the days of nicking ashtrays and binoculars are gone aren't they yeah Yeah, i wish i'd kept them as well i never kept them i haven't even got any to 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 show for it (laughs) (laughs) oh god i think you're i hate to say the word journey seriously but you know it is what it is isn't it it is it is. I think it's really going to resonate with so many people because you used you were a teacher, weren't you? Yes, yes. I was um, a teacher for a long time. I fell into it. It wasn't a calling. Well, I don't want to say I, it was something that I felt I had to do. So I studied. My art teacher was encouraging me to do art. And I wanted to go to university. I lived in a small town 
in Oxfordshire and I felt like there was something bigger I wanted to burst out but none of my friends really went to uni and I didn't want to do art and I always danced I was the disco dancer I was the one in the middle of the dance floor you know having a great time and I'd done a few shows at school we had a great dance teacher and then he said to me you can do a performing arts degree so I played the piano and I was very dramatic (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and so uh when he said I could do a performing arts degree I was like yeah I'm on that so I applied for I applied for a dance degree at Laban Centre in London mm. and I applied for a performing arts degree in Leicester and I got into both and the only reason I went to Leicester was because they were offering accommodation and we were too worried about where I was going to live in London. And it was the best choice because it was a wider experience of performing arts and I loved it. And then when I graduated, I faffed about a bit. I was doing some teaching, some freelance teaching. And then I took a job at a Quaker school near near my home, near my hometown, teaching dance. And when I'd done that for a year, I thought I should probably get a some kind of qualification so I did my postgrad <laughs> you know and from my postgrad I just kept going I, I moved to London I got a job with Ilia in the London Education Authority and they put me in a school in Langdon Park School and I haven't looked back actually I loved it I loved it I loved teaching dance I loved swanning around in my pink jumpsuit um, <laughs> I loved the kids that I taught yeah it was it was lovely How old were you when you had that kind of moment of it's been described as a breakdown, but also as a breakthrough? Tell me about what happened. Yeah, I've done 28 years of teaching and I couldn't see myself leaving. That's part of growing older. You don't understand your transferable skills. And also Mm -hmm. I was taught to look for a job. I thought I'm going to have to look for another job and I couldn't work out what I was qualified to do. Plus I was single, big mortgage, two girls at uni. Oh, God. You know, a lifestyle to upkeep. And I was sewing. I was making bags. I had a little business that really was a hobby because I was making no money. And I wasn't that bothered about it because I had a salary. That makes sense. So I was doing that. That was more of a cathartic exhale at the weekends. Mm -hmm. And I did like craft shows and open houses and things like that. So I was 52. I think I was 52. My memory isn't what it was, you know. I know, tell me about How old are you now? Sorry. I'm 58 now. I'm 58 now. now. I must have been 52, yeah, if I do the math. Both my girls went to university. One went back to university and one went for the first time. It was September 2014. And in fact, I had been on holiday, I'd been to visit my family in Barbados. I'd hit the ground running when I got back 1st of September. There was a fashion event in my local area called Forest Hill Fashion Week. So I was frantically designing and making to put things there. So the first two weeks I was going to work, coming home, sewing, you know, getting up, doing it all over again. And I was busy. And then the minute that finished and the day started to get darker and my girls weren't home and we move into winter and I really started to wobble because I thought, oh I've got the house to myself I'm gonna love it and I actually hated it I hated the quiet I hated coming home hated coming home in the dark my boiler broke and typical uh, yeah 
And that's a lot of money to replace. Mm, and actually, yeah. I realise now that that's a measure of how I felt about myself. I was mm. moving into depression without knowing it. Had my girls been around, I would have fixed that boiler in a heartbeat, you know. But because it was just me, it was almost like I didn't feel worthy of having heat, if that makes sense. I would literally run from room to room and put, I've got like a nice fireplace in my living room, sit there with my blanket over me, with the heating on, the TV on mute, sit on my laptop and do whatever work I needed to do and I was losing my pull to sew the Mm. the one thing that had kept me sane I would say was the one thing that I wasn't really bothered about doing so the story is that I was in a meeting and I was half listening in the meeting but also had my laptop open and I'm answering emails and multitasking which doesn't really serve anyone but there you go you do it because we all do it and I was mentally calculating when the meeting would finish and how much time I would have to stay in my office to finish some more work before I would go home and do some more work yeah, God, you know. It sounds nuts now. I know. And do you know what? I, I look back on my life then, I don't know how I did it. And you do it because you have to. And the fire alarm went and I snapped because, of course, when the fire alarm goes, you're supposed to go outside, aren't you? You're supposed to do as you're told. Yeah. It wasn't conscious. Everybody was going down. I marched up to my office, grabbed all my things, grabbed my laptop and marched home and went into my living room, put the heating on, put the TV on and opened my laptop and carried on working and carried on working and then I did a couple of hours and I looked up and I I was exhausted yeah that kind of tired that gets in your bones that I was so tired and I was so desperate to go to bed and it was only eight o'clock and something in me said I couldn't go to bed at eight o'clock because it was too early because it's eight o'clock yeah right but also I realized if I went to bed the next minute I knew it'd be the morning again and I'd have to get up and I'd have to do it all over again and I burst into tears and it's a pivotal moment because I remember it like it was yesterday Mm. but I'm crying and I'm googling symptoms of depression I go on the NHS website and it's got a tick box and I'm ticking away and I'm still crying and I haven't stopped and I start to scroll through my phone and think I need to call someone this is this is not good I didn't want to call my kids because they would worry I wasn't going to call my mum I didn't want to call my sister because these are people who would worry about me and also they're not near me so I called a friend who lives you know five minutes away in the car a good good friend and normally she doesn't pick up the phone whenever I call her house phone her kids pick up or her husband picks up it just so happened she picked up the phone and I'm sobbing talking and she can't make any sense of what I'm saying of course (laughs) you know and uh, she said stay there I'm coming And even though at the time I didn't realise it, it was the beginning of my journey, my pathway towards leaving teaching because the fall I had some time off and I was trying to get better to go back to work because that's what you do. I didn't know anything else. No, you just go straight back into the treadmill, don't you? Yeah, you do. And I made a decision not to go back to work and that gave me the space to get worse, by the way. It wasn't the magic pill mm-hmm. I assumed it was going to be, but it also meant that I could get better for me and I could turn my entire gaze for the first time in my life on myself, which I'd never done, which mm-hmm. many women don't do. We don't do it. No, how hard was that after a lifetime of not putting yourself first to do that. I didn't have any choice. 
Sam, I didn't have any choice. I was in a state, you know, I didn't, and I didn't realise all these years I did have a choice, but I put everybody else first. I put my kids first. When I split from my partner mid-2000s, I put them first. They were the people I prioritised. And I thought that putting them first was working as hard as I could to save more money to chip away at my massive, (laughs) (laughs) like, in tiny increments. You know, so I thought I was putting myself first, but I wasn't. I wasn't by any stretch of the imagination. So I I left and it went very quiet, really Mm. quiet, because that busyness that we're conditioned into you know yeah when people contact you say oh I'm so busy like I'll see what I fit you into my diet you know it's almost like a badge of honor it's an addiction isn't it yeah because that's what we're taught and I I said to you before I don't know how I did it except that I did it because that's what you do and now my life is so (laughs) different because I make choices about whether I want to be busy or not you know yeah. Looking back with everything that you know now, do you think that was the onset of perimenopause? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. I was talking to somebody yesterday about it. They're not remembering the stuff that I kept in my head. I thought I was going mad and I'd never heard of perimenopause. Really? Because it's every woman. I've spoken to so many women now. I spoke to 50 women for the book and, mm. you know, about 20 now for the podcast. And every single one of them had, you know, varying degrees of mental health symptoms and nobody knew all anybody knew was the hot flush thing that kind of cliche of the hot sweaty slightly puffy middle-aged woman nobody knew I didn't know at all there is a shift, literally, where it's not funny anymore. It's not the joke. We were the butt of jokes. And even I went to the doctors in February 2015. And I, I don't go to the doctors often. I don't know. How long after your breakdown was that? So that's six months later, five months later. But I was still in it. But because other things were happening and I was really worried at that time, I was still concentrating on trying to get back to work. I go to the doctors. I always have a list on my phone. So I don't miss anything out because they've only got the yeah. five minutes, haven't they, the ten minutes. Yeah. I want to get it all in. And, yeah, you're literally going, and this, right. and that. And depression was at the bottom of it. Oh, man, Karen. <laughs> I know, because I'd fallen, I had an injury, and I wanted to go to the holistic route. So I was basically rocking up to the doctor to say, this is what's wrong and this is what I'm going to do. I'm just letting you know, just in case. <laughs> you know. But also, she didn't make the connection between depression and menopause so I wasn't making the connection I thought they were separate things I will also say that I had started hot flushes I'd got my new boiler at Christmas Uh, I started having hot flushes and I thought it was the boiler's fault I was in complete denial even though I hadn't had a period for a year my mum stopped started menopause at 52 the signs were there but my head was elsewhere yeah if the doctor said oh well there is a connection between blah 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 I would have been able to go oh yeah right you're right but because I was, my head was elsewhere, I just knew I was forgetting everything. As my job as a head of house in a busy, massive, you know, boys' school, I had to remember a lot of things. I wrote a lot of stuff down, but I didn't really have to. I was that woman who just knew what the nuances around parents and why certain kids couldn't sit together and, you know, who I had to call mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. And so yeah, you were the one start, everybody turned to and relied right. on. Right. Which made it hard to delegate, of course. It was scary. And because no one was talking about it, no one, Mm. and no one who looked like me was talking about it, on top of that, 
Yeah. I thought it was just me, so I kept it to myself. Well, the doctor didn't associate it with menopause. So did you take anything? Did you get any treatment? Did you? Okay, so she suggested antidepressants. Oh, God. If I had a tenner, <laughs> if I honestly had a tenner for everyone who said that, I would be yeah. a lot but richer than I am now. She wasn't pushy about it, but she just mentioned it. And I said to her, as I said to you, I'd go to the doctors to tell them what I'm going to do. <laughs> and every now and then they'll say, you know, painkillers. And I'm not a fan of painkillers. I'm not a fan of drugs per se. Anyway, so she mentioned antidepressants. I said, OK, I haven't ruled it out. I won't rule it out. But let me try some other stuff first. And I was still at work at this point. But then I left a couple of months later and it gave me the space to do the things, to try different, more holistic things. So mm. I went to a herbalist and she gave me a deliciously icky concoction that included things like black cohosh and, you know, oh, yeah. the stuff, right? Did you and, find but, any of that stuff work? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say, I had an hour's consultation and then half an hour with this woman listening to me, listening to me talk about all the stuff that was happening all the stuff it wasn't therapy that came later but it I think sometimes it might be a combination certainly for me I can't put my hands on heart and say yeah that worked but that feeling of being held and somebody holding space for me it's absolutely uh, it's invaluable so there was that my brother who is a Buddhist suggested meditation and I thought it's a bit airy-fairy if I'm honest. He recommended a book by John Kabat-Zinn, uh, Full Catastrophe Living, which I still haven't finished, but it's really good. <laughs> <laughs> the bits I read were good. It's massive and it's expensive, so if you can borrow it from somebody, uh, do so. And that was also to help with my injury because my back and my leg were hurting. I was having difficulty walking, which is somebody whose my background is in dance was actually, it's awful anyway, but it was, it felt doubly awful, I suppose. So there was that. I got silent. I had nothing to do. <laughs> yeah. When you've been busy your whole life, you don't even know what to do, do you? I tell you what was hard. I live near the school I used to teach. So I would hear all the kids going to school every day and I would have to hide in my room and like put earplugs in or do something else so I couldn't hear them. I found that really hard because I can hear the pit. When it's quiet, I can hear the school pips from my house. If I went out, I would deliberately go the long way around so I didn't have to walk past the school. It was triggering. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Karen. And even now, I, I was talking on Instagram, if that's what you do, yeah. commenting on someone who has just stopped teaching. And I was saying about how problematic I find September, this period. And this is the first year I've remembered beforehand so I can be more gentle and softer with myself. So... September was always the time you hit the ground running, you had loads to do. Within two days, you'd forgotten you had a holiday. And so when I stopped teaching, of course, in September, all my friends went back to work. And I'm like, Billy, no, mate. Do you know what I mean? I started to book holidays to visit my family in Barbados on the 1st of September, which is when it gets really cheap, by the way. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I did that for a few years, a, a couple of years, I suppose. And then last year, I didn't go because my daughter was pregnant with her first child. And this year, obviously, I'm not going. So, well, not obviously, I, I don't want to get on a plane yet. But this is the first year that I've gone, OK, Karen, September is going to be difficult for you. You must be gentle with yourself. I see that as, that's progress. I'm putting that down as growth. Massive, massive growth. Yeah. Thank you. 
Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. So um, you started your fashion business. Yes. What led to that? What made you think, this so, is what I want to do for me? I was making bags out of Ankara fabrics. And I was, you know, I enjoyed doing that. One year, I decided to make clothes. I gave in to pressure. People kept saying, you should make clothes, you should make clothes, you should make clothes. And the reason I didn't want to is because I decided I'm not a fashion designer because I hadn't got a degree in fashion and I didn't do pattern cutting. So I decided, even though I have been sewing, since I was 15 years old. The yeah. classic woman thing. I yeah. can't do it because I'm not qualified to within an inch of my life. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I didn't know how to grade the patterns to make them different. So I didn't know any of that stuff. So I held off and then I thought, I may as well. So I did it for a bit and I put different outfits on my website. Strangers would buy them and they'd go off. And then, of course, I had this period where I didn't want to sew at all. So my daughter said to me, why don't you get some help? We're talking a year later now. I did spend a whole year ostensibly not doing a lot. I was doing a lot for myself. I went into therapy, Mm -hmm. uh, which was fantastic. And I thought I'd go for six weeks and ended up going for three years. But it was just what I needed. And I haven't ruled out going back. But I wasn't doing anything. So I worked with a business coach. Coach, a creative business coach who actually kind of held my hand all through this and it was her who said we were working out what I love doing and what I love love doing is making fashion stories I love the connection that you get from working with women who have lost themselves a bit I'm a great hype woman so as I was learning to redefine my relationship with my fashion and what I wore and learning not to give a and whilst I was learning that Choosing clothing that I loved would get me out of the house. And it didn't matter what the combinations were. Whilst I was learning that my aunt had passed away, my aunt Monica passed away the same year I left teaching. And I missed her terribly, even though we had a connection, but I didn't see her a lot. So the guilt, you can imagine, you know, Mm -hmm. not being there and all that kind of stuff. But I inherited a couple of her skirts and a bit of jewellery. And I found that when I was feeling at my lowest, wearing her clothing that she'd worn, that somehow 
had her stories woven into it helped me to feel better. So all of that I'd be talking about with my business coach and realising that I use fashion to make connections. So I want to make clothing for individuals, not for random people who were going to buy it. Do you know what I mean? Who I don't know. That combination of meeting someone, talking through what you love about yourself, often what we don't love about yourself. It's often a a longer list. Talking about what you love and and designing something that is for an event that is going to make you happy, that every time you wear that item, you think about that event and you think about the journey we went on over the four to six weeks that we were working together. It's priceless. It's absolutely priceless. So I seeked into that I see ding to creating bespoke clothes clothing for women I have a leaning towards color I have a leaning towards Ankara African print fabrics but it, I'm not exclusively about that you know so I was brought up this may resonate with you to believe that you got a job and you stuck at it and then you retired and mm-hmm. I think that's why I struggled with the whole not leaving teaching thing is that I thought I'd have to do one thing now <laughs> I do (laughs) lots of different things because I do what takes my fan. I'm curious. I do what I what I like to do. And so I love teaching. So I teach. I run private sewing lessons in my studio in South East London. I'm modelling at the moment. That's that's a new thing that's turned up. That fits into my vision of being visible in a world where there aren't enough black women with silver locks who are doing Mm. what they want to do so that works for me you know yeah I'm a big fan of trying things at least once something it's yeah (laughs) not everything it's really this is all about identity isn't it it's all about your identity losing it and finding it and maybe finding an identity that had always been there but had been put aside while everybody else was put to the front but then also your business is all about helping because fashion is such a big deal for women especially you know get to around about 40 and you don't know who you are or what you should be wearing or anything it feels like your business is also all about helping women find their own identity and tell their stories and work out who they are which is just brilliant I feel like I was drawn I couldn't work out what I wanted to do I think sometimes we also identify with our job and I identified as a teacher I had status as a head of house as a head of Mm -hmm. and I struggled with well what would I tell everybody I was because we always go what do you do you know yeah and And you don't want to say I used to be do you that's and also I so there's that double thing of my parents are from Barbados. They were brought this. They have colonial education, as many of us do. And uh, so going into jobs that have status and make money, my mum would kind of boast about me. You know, my daughter's in London. She's a teacher, you know, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. And I identified very strongly with not wanting to disappoint her. My late Aunt Monica wanted me to go back to university. I wasn't really keen on it, you know, but education is so important. So couple that with the fact that I couldn't see myself as a fashion designer. I actually ended up getting called out about it. I had a video made, a promo video made that's on my website. And all the time I was describing myself as a bespoke designer and my... (laughs) A good friend of mine who is a fashion designer called me out in public on it and said, you're not a bespoke designer, you're a fashion designer. I felt like I couldn't own that title. I own it now. In fact, I call myself a fashion creative because I feel 
that opens myself out to doing all sorts of creative things that are based in fashion. But um, at the time, it, it was hard. But it is about finding your purpose. It's a bit of a cringy phrase, but it's true. I've drawn towards helping women, empowering all those buzzwords, women, just by being who I am, to do whatever they want to do as well. And that's kind of where menopause well black has come from, isn't it? Yeah. Hashtag. So... <laughs> Because, you know, I'm conscious that as a straight white woman who's worked in the media, I have, you know, a massive privilege. Mm. And I couldn't find myself. You know, when I was going through menopause, probably around about the same time as you, Mm. about six, seven years ago, I didn't know where to turn. I didn't know where to look. All I noticed was that women over 40 kind of vanished certainly over 50. So for you, finding the menopause information and then finding it from people who, you know, look like you, even mm. worse. Mm. Yeah. And it, no it is that invisible woman. We're either the butt of people's jokes, the mother-in-law jokes were, or uh, we became invisible. Society does a number on us. The media does a number on women. Uh, it's about, because it's around how you look, how we look, Our, the emphasis is on you looking youthful. You know, at 20, at 30, I couldn't imagine myself at 50. I thought I'd be dead. You know? Yeah, exactly, yeah. Inconceivably old. Absolutely. And my epiphany, if you like, menopause whilst black was born just after Black Lives Matter, just after George Floyd. It was during COVID, just after George Floyd was murdered. Was it that recent? It's yeah, really that recent. taken I, hold, isn't it? I know. And and it was because I was, I'm sitting at home, I'm making face covers from my kitchen table because I brought my sewing machine home and, and I was busy in the sense that I was keeping myself creative and it was stopping me from being anxious. And I was aware that my menopause symptoms weren't going away. And whilst they're not super severe, they still exist. And I was wondering how are specifically black women who are watching and hearing about people who look like us, our brothers, our sisters, our, you know, our partners being killed, being arrested, being all this kind of stuff. And I was thinking your menopause symptoms don't just go on hold whilst you're dealing with another tragedy. You have to deal with all of that. And I was wondering how they were navigating racial trauma. And I went on Instagram and I ranted and I I asked the question, if you Google menopause and you click images, what comes up? And people got it because if you do it, you see a sea of very sad looking white women (laughs) With their heads in their hands. They don't look like you. They definitely don't look like me. And so I was saying that there needs to be more representation. My friends, I have black friends who are menopausal. It's not that it doesn't happen. We get it. So I started to do my research. And the research threw up an article from 2007 from uh, Northamptonshire, which was about why black women didn't take up HRT. That's not the title, but it was basically that. And it had 22 women in it. And 15 of them were identified as black women and four of them identified as black British women. And then the rest of the research was African-American women. So a lot of stuff from like 2018 kind of thing. The Swan Mm. Report, which was about... Um, racial trauma and racial weathering, which is the accumulation of microaggressions. There's a lot. I was like, oh, no one's done it, have they? I'm going to have to do it, aren't I? It was that yeah. kind of thing. 
It's like, I'm going to have to step up. So I created something on Google Forms and I asked black menopausal women to fill it in. And 235 women filled it in. I remember that post. I mean, it was, I didn't realise that was your first one. That was, yeah. And the thing is, is that I hadn't planned to do a podcast. I didn't have any plans. I just wanted to know. I mean, a lot of the stuff brings up the fact that black women are more likely to develop menopause two years earlier than our white counterparts. We're more likely to have more severe symptoms, but we have a lot of parallels. But there's also things like we're less likely to get osteoporosis because we tend to have a stronger bone density. There's lots of, you know, little things. Mm. But the biggest thing that's come out of that research is black women saying, thank you. Thank you for noticing. Thank you for Mm -hmm. asking. And I knew of one podcast that centres black women. She's in America, the Black Girl's Guide to Menopause. And so I was telling them about that. But that's all I knew. So I thought there needs to be something for UK women. I think I shied away also because I've always felt, again, that you need to be an expert to do stuff. You don't, guys. You just need to have a passion about it. You just need to want to do it. And I feel driven to share these stories and have conversations with women who are doing the same thing you know so that's it that's what's happening so I'm interviewing and hopefully once I've worked out what the hell editing is it'll start coming out in October just in time for World Menopause Day (laughs) yeah October the 18th that's amazing isn't it and it's there's so much need for it I don't want a couple of things my daughters are 25 and almost 30 everything I do has them in mind And I never want them to feel the way I felt six years ago. I never want them to go through that. I never want them to feel alone. I feel that if young black women coming up see that 58, they're not going to be dead or that they're not going to be wearing beige or that, you know, that they can live vibrant lives the way that they want to on their terms, that it means that there will be less fear. People fear menopause. They're worried about getting older, not being desirable, not being seen as relevant, all of that stuff. But that doesn't stop just because you hit menopause. If anything, it gives you the, I'd say, the courage to really step out because you've got nothing to lose. (laughs) You know, I feel that every Everybody, every woman should hear stories that resonate with them. And if my story, your story, the stories of the people on my podcast, the women we're talking to resonate, then it's just one more step closer to menopause just being a conversation that everybody has. And by everybody, I mean men and women, the boys we're bringing up, the kids in school, Mm -hmm. everybody. You know, it's not a problem, but it's not just a women's issue. It's a world issue. Yeah, I mean, it affects all of us, doesn't it? It might be 51% of the population that have it, but it's 100% of the population who are affected by it. Yeah, absolutely. Dealing with it by just like pushing us in the corner and like shutting the door and pretending you can't see us. Yeah. And if you think about it, it'll be why so many women in their 50s go part-time. And now, like you said, I look back on the struggle I had a few years before I eventually left teaching. Imagine what it would be like if workplaces got it so that they were able to give women much more support, that maybe they could have some kind of sabbatical. You know, imagine how important and how effective that would be within the workplace because we lose a lot of talent of women who feel that they just can't do their job anymore. They just need to do it in a different way and be supported to do that. Our society is so youth-focused, isn't it, and so male-focused. You've just got that classic thing of 
men who are 50 are silver foxes and CEOs and women who are 50, you know, yeah. just wasted. Yeah. And um, if ever I've seen a silver vixen, it's you, frankly. <laughs> Why, thank you, darling. And they're looking amazing. I wish everybody could see you. That's the only problem with podcasts is that no one can see. I'm going to Sainsbury's after this. I'm going to give them, yeah, I was like, well, because every day I get up, I dress based on how I feel or how I want to feel. And I was feeling a kind of black and white with a little, you know, red accents today. I have a, a few dresses that I used to wear with heels and a head wrap for work. They're good quality clothing. I don't wear heels and a head wrap anymore, but they don't fit the person I've become. But I'm wearing this, you can't see. I've got a skirt that my mum made me that's too big for me that I've pinned underneath <laughs> with a lovely pleated detail. And uh, I've just used it up a bit. And now I feel much more like me. <laughs> yeah, you look fantastic. I'm sat here in my usual, like, dressed like a 10-year-old boy as normal. But, you know, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> You're fantastic, Karen, honestly, I think. Thank I just you. hope we can, let's just get the message out more and more and yeah. more. Yeah. I've got a few questions that I always ask. Okay. Um, What's your emotional age? I think it's about 15. <laughs> I'm, I'm a giggler. And I remember being told off at school for talking too much and giggling. And it's never, ever left me. And in fact, the kids I remember from school who I've taught, the kids that came into my life, that I've remembered are the ones who were the talkers and the gigglers who got in a little bit of trouble for not keeping the mouth shut. So, yeah, it might even be younger. <laughs> um everybody likes a bit of a book recommendation so is there a book that you would push on your friends a book that you've loved I I read a lot I recently finished Candice Brathwaite's uh I am not your baby mother Mm. it really spoke to me I really loved that I'm no longer talking to white people about race Red Ayada Lodge literally turned everything on its head for me currently reading creative visualization but I have no idea who it's by and it's about Imagining yourself in the life that you want to live. And often that we don't feel that we are worth having everything. And we are. That, I think that will really resonate. It was interesting earlier when you said about thinking things were a bit airy-fairy or a bit woo-woo. I was always like that. Yeah. Always like, dismiss it. Yeah. I'm, I'm a cynic. I'm not interested in that. And that's, you know. This stuff works. My affirmations and getting silent and meditation and all of those things it's about the way we talk to ourselves and we often when we catch ourselves speaking to ourselves we're actually not very nice no (laughs) no you speak to yourself in a way you'd never speak to anyone else yeah we call ourselves stupid we we're terrible I no longer subscribe to that I am amazing and I do a lot of I ams you know because I'm just getting started (laughs) I can't wait to see what you do next. What would you tell younger women? What would you like younger women to know? Don't people please. People pleasing will be the death of you. How I could not agree more. How old were you when you worked that out? Oh, probably 53. Yeah. 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 And I'm not in the habit of regretting any parts of my life. And it's hard not to people please. Because women are taught to care and women are taught to nurture. So you are a thought of being selfish if you don't put yourself on the line for other people. I will say that learning not to people please and and really looking at my motive for doing things 
are you doing this because you want that guy to like you or are you doing it because you want to do it they're the things that are easy you know so um, mm-hmm. that would be my I have lots of advice but that'll do <laughs> tell me an old bird role model who's inspired you the Maya Angelou's of the world you know Maya Angelou of course God rest her soul um I really like Iris Apfel yeah I remember seeing her documentary and I thought gosh that's some woman uh, so yeah I really like her I am drawn towards people who live life on their own terms. And usually that shows in, often shows in the way that they dress. Not always, but often it shows in the way that they dress. What's your superpower? Vulnerability. <laughs> that is... You, were, you didn't expect me to say that, were you? I wasn't expecting that, but that is brilliant. Yeah, vulnerability. The minute I became vulnerable and honest with myself and with other people has become my strength. And I have done more in the last five years, I would say, in terms of my growth and and where I'm going than I ever did when I was teaching. Even though I was impacting people's lives, it's just different. I was doing that for them. What I'm doing now is is my absolute truth. So, yeah, vulnerability. And lastly, how many fucks do you give? (laughs) None! (laughs) (laughs) I like that question. Do you know what? Some people say none and I don't believe them, but I believe you. <laughs> it's interesting because people assume that if you say you don't give any fucks, it means that you don't care about anything. But that's not what people are saying. You know, you have to work on yourself, don't you? I don't get up every day and feel amazing. I don't get up every day and go, right, I'm going to conquer the world. I tend to find that if I have a busy day, the next day I have to be a lot quieter. So I don't care. I don't care what people think of me. I'm doing what I love and that'll do and that happens to be impacting other people as well Karen you are an absolute legend I think you are my old bird role model (laughs) (laughs) oh I love that I'm happy to be a role model I like that yeah man thank you so much you're welcome thank you for listening I'd love to hear your feedback you can reach me on twitter at Sam Baker and Instagram at the other Sam Baker using the hashtag The Shift. You can hear a new episode of The Shift each week on Acast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, please do rate and subscribe because it really does help other people find us. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started 